0: Well, I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of Jesus. Say the word Jesus, you start building a, a mental picture in your head. Perhaps you start with uh, appearance, beard, long hair, something like that dude up there in the window. Add some sandals, some, you know, white robes Maybe. And then, maybe you uh start to add i don't know some some sort of personality features uh oh, he was probably like pretty nice and friendly, and you know like um he would have been like cool to hang out with and uh, uh all these sorts of things I, I don't know what it is that uh comes into your mind when you think of Jesus, but I would suggest that. The scene we read about today in John's Gospel of uh, a man with a whip flipping tables and telling people to use the temple properly isn't sort of like uh, an early picture of Jesus that we tend to kind of load into our uh, thinking about who Jesus is uh, and uh, what, uh, uh, what he is like. But of course, this is a true story of uh, Jesus and it's important that we think about what's going on here and we understand more uh, completely who Jesus is. So let's dive in and have a look at the story. Jesus is on his, or he's gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. We read that in verse 13. And we should note that This Passover festival is a significant time of worship for the people of God, for the Jewish people. This is the festival where they remember God's saving act, bringing them out of slavery in Egypt and eventually, there was a few detours along the way, but into the promised land, into Israel. And so, uh, You would expect that as the people of God gather at the temple of God in order to give thanks and praise and to remember what God has done for them, uh, that there would be a certain reverence and specialness and holiness about their worship. But when Jesus arrives, he's greeted by a much different picture, verse 14... In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Now, it's not out of the question that uh, there would be some sort of need to facilitate the festival and to facilitate the people who have come in from all different parts of the, the empire to, to, to worship God uh, to uh, you know uh, have the right sorts of money and these sorts of things. Just think about, like, if you go on holidays, remember when we used to be able to go to other countries for holidays, um, you had to sort out your cash situation before you went. Um, You you know, you had to make sure you got euros or uh, whatever the case may be, depending on where you were going. And uh, so it's not without, out of the question that there'd be some sort of System that enabled uh, the right sort of things to be happen, the, the right sort of animals to be uh, offered in, in sacrifice. But it seems that what's happening here is it's gone beyond helpful uh, um, uh, tools in order to enable the worship of God by his people to uh, advan- people taking advantage of others. And Jesus is not happy about it. He's not happy about what he sees. It's not the proper kind of reverence and worship that ought to be uh, shown to his father. And so in verses 15 to 17, we read... He made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, the sheep, the cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered it is written in the Psalm, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, this is a full-on scene, right? I mean, imagine that you're a Jew and you've made your way to Jerusalem for the Passover and you might have done this, this might be your first time, but you might have done this once or twice before and everything sort of seems kind of pretty normal. This is kind of how you remember things having been done and then all of a sudden there's a dude who probably doesn't look anything like that guy up there on the window but uh, there's this guy like, who's angrily flipping tables and... With a whip that, that that would be a confronting scene getting the animals to kind of run out of the temple. I wonder how you 'd respond to something like that. Well, we see uh, John kind of chronicles uh, two different responses, two different responses that people have to Jesus as he goes to Jerusalem, and he goes to the Passover, he flips the tables and he does a few other things. And we, we see that unpacked over the remainder of the chapter. First of all, uh, this action by Jesus to cleanse the temple leads to a confrontation and then uh, dismissal by the Jews of Jesus. So we read in verse 18, the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this. What gives you the right, Jesus, to interrupt our festival this way and to tell us we're not doing it properly? And Jesus gives them a very uh, bizarre answer. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days you can imagine, I mean, imagine for a moment that this was the temple and Jesus, we'd had some tables just out here and Jesus has just flipped them over and we say, hey, what gives you the right to do this? And he says, destroy this church and in three days I'll I'll rebuild it. We'd be like, I'm pretty sure it took them like, you know, like 25 years to get the front bit done and then another like 50 something years before they could get the back bit done. I don't think you could do it in three days, Jesus. That's the response the people have to Jesus. It's taken, verse 20, 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. You know, this is just crazy talk, Jesus. And we see in their response, uh, as they confront Jesus, hey, what gives you the right to do this? And as he kind of gives them this cryptic answer, uh, they just dismiss it. Uh-uh, you don't build temples in three days, Jesus. Not going to happen. Turns out you don't have any right to do any of these things that you've done. But John gives us the narrator's perspective in the next couple of verses. He helps us to understand and uh, we, we kind of know where this story's going. Uh, it's not the first time we've heard it. But if it was, John helpfully explains to us The temple he spoke of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. See, what Jesus is saying is, the sign I'm going to give you is, I am the new center for the worship of God. And if you destroy me, the true temple then I'll raise it again in three days. I will defeat death and sin and I will offer the one true sacrifice for sin in myself and I will rise again victorious, vindicated by God as proof that your sins can be truly forgiven. But for most of the Jews there in this confrontation, they're, they're just confused, they don't know this narrator's bit and they just think, this guy's crazy, 46 years and we're not even finished yet, it's not going to be done in three days. Get this crazy man out of here. But that, ref- that, that, that response of kind of confrontation and then instant dismissal res- contrasts with those who take a more open approach. Let me just take you back a moment to uh, the the calling of the disciples that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, where we see another interaction uh, with Jesus that is illustrative, I think, of of the reaction of some others that we'll see at the end of this chapter. But you remember back in chapter 1, when uh, Nathanael is uh, called to follow Jesus. Philip goes to him in verse 45 and says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also spoke about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's instant response is scepticism. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? But it's not scepticism with dismissal, because he's open. Come and see, said Philip. And so Jesus goes, he sees, and uh, Uh, Jesus reveals something of himself to Nathanael as uh, someone who knows uh, things that only God could know. He truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael says, how do you know? And Jesus says, I saw you while you were under the fig tree. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He's sceptical, but he's willing to check it out and see for himself who Jesus truly is. And that's an example of uh, kind of trying to figure out who Jesus is with openness versus kind of trying to confront and dismiss so you can just carry on with your own life, which is what is going on in the temple for the majority of these Jews. But there's some others who are responding differently in verses 23 to 25, perhaps a little more like Nathaniel. Let me read to you those verses again. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, as well as flipping tables, he also did other signs. Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name or trusted in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. John here just in a couple of verses telling us uh, Jesus did a lot of amazing things when he was in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And that, this caused people to believe in him. This caused people to trust in him. But notice there's that interesting bit about Jesus not trusting In them. And that's important because though people are trusting in Jesus, he's choosing not to entrust himself to them because, why? Verse 24, he knows all people or in verse 25, he did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. What does this mean? This I think is John's way of telling us Uh, why we need to trust Jesus. Because all of us are morally flawed. All of us find ourselves in a place where we would naturally seek to carry on doing our own things in our own way. Jesus does not entrust himself to the people for he knows that they are sinful. All of us have the tendency to seek to dismiss Jesus, to carry on doing things our own way, especially religious things. But any aspect of our lives but Jesus calls us to trust, to trust in him, to not dismiss him but to carry on in our journey of understanding who he is and what it means to follow him. Ultimately this is a story about true and proper worship of God. This is why Jesus is upset with what he sees when he goes to the temple, because people are not taking God seriously enough. And so he seeks to drive that improper worship out of God's holy place. And so as we consider who Jesus is, and as we respond to him With faith and trust, it must lead us into worship that honours Jesus, true and proper worship in spirit and truth. And we must make sure that we don't err on the side of empty ritualism or over uh, casual, it's all cool with God because he's cool with me. But we must worship God in a way that expresses our deep trust and love for who he is. For the fact that he is a holy God who has sent his son Jesus into the world to save sinners. Sinners like you, sinners like me. And when we understand that, when we trust Jesus has done that for us. God's Spirit leads us into true and proper worship of Jesus as our Saviour and King. Amen. (laughs)